Our scripture reading this morning is from Joshua 1, 1 through 9. This is found on page 178 in your pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take the one home, take that one home in front of you as a gift from us. Again, Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, and to the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was reminded this summer of the significance of first steps. And we, as a family, were uh, visiting Breckenridge, Colorado. And I had determined that while we were there, I was going to climb my first 14er. And that's a a mountain that's at least uh, 14,000 feet above sea level. There's a bunch of them in Colorado. And uh, Quandry Peak, just outside of Breckenridge, is one of the, the easier 14ers in Colorado. You don't really climb it so much as you're, you're just, it's a difficult high altitude hike where you gain about 3,000 feet of elevation in less than three miles. And I visited the trailhead ahead of time. I scoped it out. Uh, the night before, I packed and repacked my backpack to make sure I had all the gear I was going to need for that day. I was ready. But the most significant part of the journey to ascend Quandry was the next morning. I got up a little after 4 a.m., drove to the trailhead in the dark, donned my backpack, put on my headlamp, and in the pitch dark of the pre-dawn morning, approached this sign, which marked the beginning of the trail. It marked the, the division of the, the gravel road that had led up to the trailhead to the, the dirt ground that began the trail. Now, taking that step off of the gravel mountain road and onto that trail wasn't the most physically challenging step. No, those, those came just before the summit above the tree line. But it was the most significant step. And in many ways, it was the most challenging step. Stepping away from the familiar and the safe into the unknown and the risky, into a dark forest. You see, the first step is rarely 
the most physically challenging step of a journey. But it's almost always the most significant one. It's almost always the most momentous one, the the hardest one to take. But without first steps, you don't get mountain summits. So I, I did make it to the top. And I know you said, Bill, wasn't it July? Why are you wearing your winter coat? Because it's, it's always cold at 14,000 feet, so you had to carry that in the backpack when you get up there. It's very chilly. The first step, uh, no matter how small, always ends up being the biggest. Not necessarily in size, right? But in significance, as you say, I'm moving from this place of safety, security of known into something new, into something unknown. That first step. I wonder what have been some of the first set moments in your life. I mean, maybe it was that first job application you filled out. Or maybe it was the first time you came to church. Uh, maybe it was the time you, you, you finally had the courage to confront the addiction that you'd been battling. Uh, maybe it was, was the first day at uh, a new class or a new school this fall. Maybe it was deciding as a family that you were going to move or getting a group of friends together to start a, an organization or a company. Uh, th- those first steps, no matter how small they may seem in retrospect, they're always risky, right? They, they always uh, involve some kind of sense of I'm, I'm leaving something familiar, something known to do something new. And they're always necessary for growth. And bold faith is no different. It requires a unique first step. And we have these moments, certainly as, as individuals in our lives, where we take first steps, but also collectively we have these moments. And, and we're at one of those moments as a church. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks, of taking big steps of bold faith together. Um, as many of you know, we are one church, but in five locations around Kansas City. And two of our campuses, uh, downtown and Shawnee Mission, uh, don't have adequate homes right now to fulfill, to facilitate the mission, uh, our mission as a church, which is to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. And we're at a crossroads as a church um, with two opportunities. We have two buildings, and we didn't certainly plan it this way or time it this way, but two buildings that are ideal, one for Shawnee, one for uh, downtown, both came available at the same time for purchase. Um, and we believe that now is the time to move forward, that these are the right places, but it's not going to be easy. So we've been taking these three weeks to remind us together as a church about bold faith. In the last two weeks, we've been together in the book of Numbers, looking specifically at chapters 13 and 14. And this week, we're going to pick up the rest of that story, 40 years later in the book of Joshua, just two books after Numbers. So if you uh, haven't already, I invite you to grab one of those Bibles from the pew or find it on your phone. Again, it's uh, the sixth book into your Bible there. Uh, Two books after Numbers, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. And as you're turning there, um, I'd love to pray for us as we continue here this morning. Father in heaven, it is because you took the first step toward us that we are able to come to you now. I pray this morning as we look at this account of bold faith and first steps, that you would encourage us, that you would make us bold, 
not in our own strength, but in our hope and confidence in you and our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen. Well, last week, we watched as the Israelites, God's people who he had delivered out of Egypt, rescued from Egypt, but he had brought them to the edge of the land that he had promised to them, the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where they had lived and before they had ended up in slavery in Egypt. They were there, ready to go in. But instead of moving forward in bold faith, the people listened to the, the bad report of ten of the scouts, and they shrunk back in toxic fear. They didn't enter into the land, and they spent the next 40 years wandering in the desert just outside of the land while that generation passed away. But now as we pick up the story 40 years later in Joshua chapter 1, we see Joshua and Caleb and this new generation, the descendants of those who had rejected God's promise, who had grown up in the wilderness, they are now back at the same moment on the edge of the land ready to go in. And Moses, the leader who had been with them since Egypt, who had brought them out of Egypt, who had led them in the desert those 40 years, he has now died and the role of leader has passed on to Joshua. And as the book opens, he's wondering, it's clear, am I going to be able to do what Moses couldn't? Am I going to be able to lead this people into this land? And it's here in these chapters, as we follow Joshua and these people, that we see three things about first steps of bold faith. Now again, just to, just to clarify, to make sure we're all on the same page here, we are not the Israelites at Christ Community. Uh, the, these building opportunities we have in front of us, those are not the, the promised land. But we want to learn from God's people in the past, in their moments of bold faith. And what is common to us, what unites us across generations and time and culture and language as God's people throughout the ages is the commonality of relating to him by faith, bold faith, and following him in obedience. And the first thing that we learn in this account is that the first step is always one of courageous obedience. The first step is always one of courageous obedience. Because as this, this book of Joshua opens, God is really clear. Joshua, you are going to lead these people across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And again, over and over in the book of Joshua, there's this refrain, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? And what's the foundation of that strength, that courage? What's the source of that obedience to God's command to be strong and courageous? Well, it's a result of a promise and a practice. It's the result of a promise and a practice. You, you see the promise in verse 5, in the second half of verse 5, where God is, says to Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's the promise. The promise of that courage, that obedience is based on is the promise that I will be with you, Joshua. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And this is the very same promise that Jesus makes to us at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus sends us, the church, 
on mission to make disciples of all peoples. He says, and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's the promise. But then in verse 8, you see the practice. Look down to verse 8 in Joshua chapter 1. It says this, This book of the law, which at this point, that is all, all, all the Bible they had, that was the first five books of the, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the book of the law, the Torah, the teaching, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do what, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The promise is, I will be with you. What's the practice? The, the practice is that we would meditate on God's Word. And that, that Hebrew word uh, translated meditate, it really just means to sort of um, speak quietly to yourself or read quietly, quietly to yourself, to mumble almost, to, that's the, kind of the sound, to murmur or mumble to yourself. And the picture is uh, that they would just spend time reading their Bible aloud to themselves, spend time studying the Scriptures, which is fascinating that at this moment, as they're on the edge of the Promised Land, preparing to cross over a flooded river into a land with people who want to destroy them, God doesn't say, figure out how to build a bridge or sharpen your swords. He says, study your Bible. Meditate on the promise. Don't miss that. It's really significant for us as well because, don't miss this, God's people, this local church, is, is not being driven by some visionary dream of the future. No one at Christ community has gone up on a mountain and gotten a vision about our future, of what Christ community should be. Rather, we're propelled forward by a mission. By Jesus' mission, the Great Commission to make disciples of all peoples, to be a caring family of multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. That mission is what is driving us forward. You see, bold faith is not about me getting what I want. No, bold faith is about understanding and obeying what God has called us to. We need bold faith not for for what we want, but for what God wants. And that's why the the Scriptures are so central to the Christian life. Because ultimately we, we want to step out in bold faith to obey what God has revealed to us. In His Word, they're our anchor, they're our guide. The first step in bold faith isn't visionary dreaming. The first step, the most courageous step, is to obey what God has commanded us to do. So where do you need to take a first step of courageous obedience in your life? Maybe, maybe even this week, maybe even tomorrow. Maybe it's a, a start doing. Maybe there's something that you, you know, you sense God is calling me to, to to start doing something I haven't been doing. I need to start. Or maybe it's a stop doing. There's something going on in my life that I need to, I need to stop doing. It's going to take bold obedience to do that. Maybe you sense God's calling you to, to reconcile with someone, to forgive someone, 
uh, maybe there's a habit you need to confront or a habit you need to start in your life. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. But the first step is always one of courageous obedience to what God has revealed in His Word. Okay, so now back to the story here. Fast forward to chapter 3 of Joshua. We can turn over a page in your Bible if you need to. And God's people approached the Jordan River. And they camp overnight before the big day of crossing the river into the land. I mean, can you imagine? I had a hard time sleeping before that hike up Mount Quandary. They're crossing the Jordan into this land. I can't imagine the anticipation. And what do they do there on the edge of the Jordan? Right? I mean, again, they should have been worried. Joshua, should we be making a bridge of some kind? Should we be building boats? How are we going to get across the river? Should we be doing anything? Joshua says, no. Listen to what he tells them in chapter 3, verse 3. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, which was, was a box that, that symbolized, represented God's presence among his people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. The only thing that Joshua tells them to do is just wake up in the morning, follow the ark. Wake up in the morning, follow the ark. They are to follow God's presence with them. He will make a way. The river is going to rage. It's going to flow. The water is going to be there. But then you get to this moment, the priests step to the edge of the river, and as their feet step into the water, it stops flowing, and it piles up, the text tells us, way down from the source. Let's look down to verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, and they give us this little parenthetical note the author does, Dear reader, now the Jordan overflows its banks all throughout the time of the harvest. This is really full river. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. The priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan River. And they exhibit courageous obedience. And, and, and God comes through. They follow the ark. They step out in bold faith. They take that first step. But their first step, and this is really key, their first step is not God's first step. The first step, our first step, is never God's first step. See, God calls them to take a first step. Every one of the Israelites that day took their first step into the river. But God had gone before them. His presence in the ark had gone before them. He goes first. Each Israelite took that step, that first step, but that wasn't God's first step. And he never asks us to go somewhere he has not already gone. He tells the people, follow me. Later on in Joshua, he says, follow me. You don't know the way. That's why you have to follow me. You've never been there before. Follow me where I'm leading you. You see, we need to see that God is not only with us, which he is, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, but he's also ahead of us, making a way. Do you believe that? 
he's made it clear to Joshua. And, and again, we see this so clearly in Jesus in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews uh, in the New Testament, which is an amazing book that, that shows how Jesus is the, the true and better fulfillment of all of the promises, all of the expectations, all of the symbolism of the Old Testament come to their, their fruition and, and fulfillment in Jesus. Listen to how the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 describes Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And that's translated the author and perfecter, the pioneer. Pioneer is a good translation. The idea of someone who has gone before. Jesus has gone before us. He has not asked us to endure or persevere through anything that he has not persevered or endured himself. He has not asked us to obey anything that he himself has not obeyed. We can take our first steps because Jesus has gone before us. And when we place our faith in him, he dwells in us. This is one of the great mysteries of faith, but he dwells in us, empowering us by his Spirit so that we could do things, that we could take steps of bold faith that we could not do in our own limitations, in our own fallenness, in our own sinfulness. He grants us the gift of faith. You see, our first step is never God's first step. He's always going before us, leading the way. Will we follow him? Now, with the people across the Jordan, again, the very first thing they do, you might, it seems a little unexpected. They don't immediately start camp. They actually, they all get across, and then God says, stop. Something else significant happens here. He, he tells them to stop. The, the, the waters are still piled up in this miraculous moment of God intervening. The dry, the, the, the riverbed is still dry there, and God says, send 12 folks out there to the middle and pick up 12 stones from the middle of the, the dry Jordan riverbed and carry them over and set them up as a memorial. Why? For your children's children's children. Because the land, this moment, is about something bigger than just right now. It was about something bigger than just them. Joshua chapter 4, verse 3 God says, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing. Carry them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. In the future, verse 6, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them. The water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenants. You see, what God is doing in this moment is bigger than just that generation. Bigger than the, just those who crossed the river that day. You see, not only is our first step not God's first step, our first step is not God's last step either. He continues to work even long after we are gone. Our first step is not just about us. It's about a generation not yet here. It's about a people not yet here. The, the mission of the church, it goes way back behind us, right? We are not the first Christians. 
We've been handed the baton of faith. And, and, and Lord willing, it will go on way in front of us as we hand off that baton of faith to the next generation. The mission is meant to outlast us. As one pastor put it, God will bury his workers, but he will never bury his work. God will bury his workers, but he will never bury his work. All of us eventually are going to pass away. But God's work, it's not going to go anywhere. This is why even though God's people, they're initially freaked out when Moses dies, God's not concerned. He's got Joshua ready. This is bigger than Moses. Way bigger. His mission to bless all nations, to bring good news to all people, doesn't rely on any one person or church or generation or any one first step. And our mission at Christ Community, that mission of disciple-making that Jesus has set us on all the way back 2,000 years ago, it's what we receive from others. It's the baton we will pass on, Lord willing, to the next generation. And we've talked here at Christ Community recently about these bold faith moments in our history as a church and the times that God has blessed us beyond what we could have even asked for or expected as a church family. So what about today? Because we're here again at one of those moments, another bold faith moment for those who aren't here yet, for a generation to come. And it's kind of at that moment, are we going to put our foot in the water, so to speak? In these past three Sundays, you've heard us talk a lot about the opportunities for us as a church, in particular the, the need for homes at Shawnee Mission and downtown. And, and I'm sure many of you have wondered, okay, what are the options? What are the, the costs, the timelines? And I hope many of you also have been wondering, okay, how can we as a campus, how can I as an individual be involved in being a part of the solution? So I want to give you a little update on some of those things this morning. Now, first on downtown, we have located... Uh, and identified a building that is for sale downtown, not uh, too far from where their rental space is that we think would be the perfect fit. Um, we're still working on details and no negotiations, so don't, don't want to show any pictures just quite yet. It's not, not close enough there, but more information for you on that really soon. We're hoping. We're in that beginning process. But second, on Shawnee Mission, I've got some really exciting news here. And some of you may remember three years ago when we began our Reach KC Faith Initiative to um, raise money to expand in Olathe and also to raise a million dollars to purchase land for the Shawnee Mission campus. We were going to buy land and then eventually we wanted to, to save up more money and then be able to build on that land eventually. Well, instead, we believe that we have actually found a building in Shawnee. It's exactly where the Shawnee Mission team wanted to be located, and our leader believes, leadership team believes this is exactly the kind of spot we've been looking for. It's right on Shawnee Mission Parkway between 435 and 35, so I've got a map there, that like little red marker on there, those green markers are our other campuses. That red marker is the, the location of the space. It's nearly 27,000 square feet. That's actually bigger than our building here. We're about 20,000 uh, square feet here at the Brookside campus, so lots of room for them to grow in that space. Um, here's the thing, it's an old Hobby Lobby. Uh, so it's not exactly a, a church building yet. And you might think really church in a Hobby Lobby, that doesn't seem 
uh, particularly inspiring. Um, yet, it's becoming more and more common for churches to locate in retail spaces. And actually, some of our, our team visited a church that did exactly this. And so we just want to show you some pictures of kind of what that could look like. So this is Lake Point Church. I think this is in Minnesota. They took a retail space, um, did a really nice facade. And then because it's a Hobby Lobby and it's completely empty, it's a total blank canvas for us to be able to build out exactly how we'd want it. And you can kind of see this is what that church did in the retail space. It'd be really beautiful. So we are close to a contract there, working to discern how much the renovations would cost, but we are really encouraged. Um, buying land and then building later would easily cost many millions more than going this option. Even paying rent on a comparable space would cost substantially more, both in the short term and in the long term, which is why we're so convinced that this space is God's provision for us um, right now in Shawnee. Take a look. Well, good morning, Christ community. My name is Tim Spanberg, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Shawnee Mission campus. And I'm Mitch Holtus, and I'm an elder at Christ community who attends our Shawnee Mission campus. We're excited to be on video with you this morning. This is a big week for our campus. We have reached an agreement on a building in Shawnee, which is a process that goes back over four years. Before we even announced that there would be a Shawnee campus, I was in a car driving around Shawnee, looking at buildings, trying to find a long-term home for our campus. And four years after setting up and tearing down, for whatever reason, uh, God waited a while, but here we are. Yeah, for uh, we were there at the beginning of Shawnee Mission and just Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, thinking, you know, starting at Maranatha Academy and recently at Trail Ridge Middle School, setting up and tearing down, thinking maybe just to taste the sweet nectar of the uh, Mitch, are you talking about the building in Shawnee or Patrick Mahomes? Actually, both, to tell you <laughs> the truth. Uh, one thing that's been great, I'm so proud uh, of our folks at Shawnee Mission, but what I've been able to see, Tim, over the past four years is something that's real. It's the great thing about Christ's community, real faith, a uh, real study of the word, uh, a real spirit to work together no matter the situation. Yeah, when I think about taking that real community we have and, and having a home that we can invite people into, that gets me excited that this move isn't just about us not having to set up and tear down anymore. It's about having a home to invite other people into. And I think about our partnership with Advice and Aid, where we often do events with them, but we do them at other churches or other facilities. Now we can welcome them in into our, our home. When I think about just the community presence and the rootedness, I get really excited. Yeah, a couple things I want to mention too is one, when you invite and reach out people to attend worship with you, it gets a little awkward with the whole set up and tear down. You're trying to have a meaningful conversation, but it's kind of like going to dinner and they're painting or putting up wallpaper around you. The second thing, what excites me about being on the elder leadership team is to see the cooperation in this endeavor with all five campuses, sacrifices that are being made. And again, that oneness in five, so to speak, uh, people reaching out saying, hey, we want you to have a home. Yeah, we have a mission that we cannot accomplish alone. And, and thinking about that, this past summer, there was a season actually where we didn't have to tear down at, at church, and, and it created space for conversation. And so there was a morning, uh, Misty and I, we were hanging out after church, just catching our breath, and, and in walked a friend of ours who was, was just hurting, was frustrated, and came in just in this refreshingly honest conversation. And we, we talked, we prayed, it was a powerful, powerful moment. Three weeks ago, we could not have had that conversation because the room would have been uh, torn down and people all around us. It wouldn't have been possible. And that's why we're excited about this 
potential building. And here's the thing, we can't take that step without all of us together moving in the same direction, that our mission takes all of us together. And here's the thing about that person who came and, and talked to my wife and I. She actually used to attend our Leewood campus, but, but she lived in Shawnee. It was too far of a drive and eventually uh, fell out of it being able to attend Christ Community. And then, and then four years ago, we planted in Shawnee where she could walk to our church with her family. And a couple weeks ago, we were watching the Chiefs game after church, and there in the midst of pizza, she came up to me and she just said, Tim, thank you for this church. And that was a thank you that took all of us together on mission. And now it's time for us to go and do it again. It's exciting. It's encouraging where we're at. Um, now listen, you know, Tim says that we, we have an agreement. We don't have a contract yet. Uh, there's lots of due diligence ahead on both spaces. But we do believe that God is doing something here. And we want you to be aware of that. And so what are the next steps for us here at Brookside right now in this moment? Well, first, I want you to make sure you get this date on your calendar. It's really important. Sunday, December 9th. Sunday, December 9th. It's a couple weeks away here, three, four weeks away. Um, we hope to have enough information by that day for, on both spaces to be able to vote on this as a congregation, to be able to move forward. So we are tentatively penciling in congregational meeting Sunday, December 9th, uh, or it'll lay the campus. More details will come on that, but just get that date on your calendar. Um, second, Tim said in the video, we can't do this on our own. Uh, these congregations can't do it on their own, but we don't, we don't have to. That's the amazing thing about being a multi-site church, about being in this together. And we'll, again, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I want to encourage you to consider now, if this is your church home, this is Christ Community's your church family, to consider how you might give financially to this, above and beyond your regular giving. And I know for some of you, year-end giving for tax reasons is a part of your rhythm. And so um, if this is a, a moment where you say, wow, I, I get excited about this, I um, would encourage you to, to give in that way with year-end giving. Um, if you want to do that and make sure that year-end giving specifically goes to these projects, you can just write Reach KC on your check or on the envelope, or um, there's a, I think if you give online, there's a way to designate a, a drop-down of Reach KC. Um, there. Also, if you have already been a part of that Reach KC program and you haven't completed out those commitments yet, this is a great time to do that. And finally, and this is truly, I believe, the, the most important step for us here, is to pray. To pray for those contracts, the due diligence work, pray for the opportunities, pray for God's provision for the generosity of his people. And most of all, pray for those who are not yet a part of our church family, but who will be as these congregations have the opportunity to expand into new homes? Because that's who this is for. It's not about our comfort or, or our prestige. It's about the mission, providing space for those who aren't here yet, and that God would change lives in that. Now, as we take these first steps into this water. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure how all this is going to work out. But I do know this, that there are people behind us right now, the great cloud of witnesses that we read about in Hebrews chapter 12, who are saying, step forward in bold faith. God will be with you. Be strong and courageous. Trust him. You may not know what the outcome is going to be. You may not know what it's going to look like, but trust him. Step forward in bold faith. We stand on their soldiers' shoulders, 
And we look now not to the ark, but to the cross. We look to the cross of Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the one who was crucified and died and raised again that we might live, who was faithful when we were faithless. And as we look to the cross, we die to ourselves. We follow him, sacrificing our own wants, our own needs, our own desires for others. And finding in the process the same joy that was set before Jesus. The same joy that is set before us. The joy of our Father's delight as we seek Him in faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would provide for us as we go forward that you would give us uh, as a congregation, as leaders, the ability to sense where you're leading. We don't want to go somewhere where you are not out in front of us leading. So give us wisdom to discern. Protect us from any error. Would you provide for us like we know you are able to and in the timing that would bring you the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.